Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast where we focus in on the specifics of teamwork, leadership, and culture. I am Greg Gregory, CSP, and today we're fortunate to have with us a good friend of mine I've known now for probably almost 20 years or thereabouts. It's hard to believe we've known each other that long, Liz. Um, Liz is one of those very few people, I mean, less than 100 in the United States, who are fortunate enough to hold two very prestigious designations. She holds the Certified Speaking Professional designation, and she also holds the Certified Management Consultant, the CMC designation, both highest earned designations in their respective professions. And it's very rare to find somebody who holds both of those. Liz provides strategy and succession planning for executive coaching and comprehensive leadership and development programs to business owners, boards of directors, and leadership teams. And that is so powerful for any organization. And I think that even comes into play not just at the executive level, but even at the frontline level, making sure that they understand the plans for what they've got to have as far as how to build. Liz has also written nine leadership books, supervised business activities in 129 countries, and consulted in over 20 of those countries. Wow, Liz, extensive resume. Thanks for joining us here on the Teamwork Advantage. Well, hey, Greg, I'm happy to be here. And it's exciting to see you again. We haven't seen each other in a long time because of all the <laughs> pandemic stuff. So it's, it's Why just... haven't we Zoomed, Greg? Why haven't we Zoomed before this? <laughs> I'm thinking, I think we've, uh, I think most of us have hit our Zoom max. I'm trying to think of a good word we can come up with for that. Yeah, We're Zoomed out. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to see you today. We're excited about that. So Liz, let's, uh, again, our podcast focuses in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, what I started to call the TLC of business. And a lot of what we talk about does not just apply in business. It actually works in our personal lives, in our um, volunteer organizations, and everything else in that direction. So tell us a little bit about your background and where you, how you got to where you are today, and especially with those two designations. Sure. Well, um, I'm actually a, a Midwest girl. I, I grew up in Wisconsin, a small farming town in Wisconsin. And I just had this desire when I was growing up that I, I wanted to do something bigger, different, better than small town America. I, for some reason, I didn't want that. And so I got my undergrad degree in international business. And during my capstone class of my undergrad, the person that taught it was this thing called a consultant. And what he would do is he would come in every week and he would share stories about the types of work he was doing with his clients that were manufacturers or financial services firms or whatever. And he was bringing all aspects of what I had been studying in my undergraduate degree together in his work with these clients. And Greg, here's a really cool thing. He would listen to them and he would hear their problems and then he would tell them how to solve the problems and then he'd go away and he didn't have to actually do the work, but he provided the answer. 
And I thought, oh, as my gosh. They, as long as they fulfilled on doing what he, they, he said to do. Absolutely. But I thought, you know, what, what an amazing job. You listen to, to people's business problems and then you give them advice on how to solve them. It, to me, it just sounded like a magical type of career. Um, so anyway, I, I graduated with an inter international business degree from the University of Wisconsin, and I was in one of those catch-22s. I couldn't get a job in international business because I had no international experience. I couldn't get international experience until I got an international job. So what I did is I took an internship in, in, with the State Department in Washington, D.C., and that got me to the East Coast. And from there, I started working with the State Department. I was with them for 10 years, traveled the world, and actually the office I was with was basically the State Department version of the military commissary system. And so I started um, helping get food supplies to different organizations around the world, different American embassies and consulates around the world, and teaching non-business-minded people how to basically run mini business complexes on American compounds. And so I did that for 10 years, traveled extensively, and I got to a point in my life with some things changing. I wanted to start my own company. And I knew that I could teach, I could train because I had been doing some adjunct training for um, colleges. And I kept thinking about this thing about being a consultant. And um, one of my MBA professors was a consultant. So I asked him what he thought about it. He said, I think it's a great idea, but you're too young. Nobody's gonna listen to you because you don't have any, any experience yet. And so what I did is I started my company as a training company um, and I started training supervisors and managers on what a lot of us start out with supervisory skills, stress, time management, productivity, those types of things. And what started happening over time is my clients started coming to me and asking me if I could help them with projects. And as some of these projects started to grow, they all started to move in a general direction of planning and strategy and team development in, in management development. So my business probably about 20 years ago now really got focused in on strategic planning, leadership development, succession planning, and executive coaching. Because what I found is when I first started my business and I was doing training, that was great. It was interesting. But what I found is a lot of the senior managers and boards and boards of directors in particular didn't take me seriously because I was a trainer. But if I could get ahead of the process and ahead of the issue and get in with strategic planning and help them identify where they needed to take their organizations and then teach their teams how to help move them in those directions, my credibility would go up, my ability to actually work with them and make an impact went up dramatically. And the success rate and the retention rate just took off. And so um, it, it, like I said, it started about 20 years ago, but it has been my business model ever since to really try to help clients identify where they wanna take the organization, the type of culture they wanna create, the type of leadership team they go, they're going to need. And then how do we put that all together to allow that team to take the company where they want it to go. And that's so powerful because in your book where you're talking about something needs to change around here, you focus in a lot on leveraging leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so key because so many people think once they get into a job, into a leadership role at whatever level, they tend to become stagnant, I guess, in a lot of cases. 
And so they don't know how to how to use what they what got them there, if you will. Mm-hmm. And there was one quote that was really fascinating. I went back and looked at it. It says, being a manager or a leader is a privilege. It's an honor to have others respect your abilities enough to allow you to lead them. It's an honor to have others trust you to guide to uh, for you to uh, trust you to guide them and support them as you work together. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful because you, you've got the key word there of trust, which I focus in on about teamwork and everything. And so you've got all that together. What does that really mean to you from both a consultant, but also from a leadership position? You know, that's a really good question because honestly, Greg, with everything that, that the world has experienced in the past year, this, this whole definition of leader um, and, and the, the demonstration of leadership has really morphed for me and for my clients in that more than ever, um, our teams need to trust us in that they need to trust us in that they, they truly know that we care about them and their well-being, that we are doing our best to ensure that our organizations survive and can come out of, of the pandemic and of the economic um, uncertainty that's happening right now stronger than before. Um, and, and they have to, to trust us to understand that when we don't have an immediate answer, it doesn't mean that we haven't stopped looking for it. And we're, we're going to continue to look for it as we continue to protect or maybe even enhance our company culture, even if we now have to work differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I, can, I can tell you, I have never done more executive coaching um, ever in the in the history of my company as I did this past year. Um, the the dramatic shift and the rapid shift to work from home or work virtually caused more teams to go into inter and intra team conflict than I have ever seen before. Yeah. And that happened in organizations. And Greg, you probably saw this with your clients too. It's it happened in those organizations where the leaders forgot to focus on the team and they forgot to focus on the message and they forgot to focus on the culture. Right. They worried right. about just get stuff done. Over. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's 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 kind of powerful because the key thing you brought in there was we got to focus in on the people because I don't care what we do, the team still involves people. Mm-hmm. And but if we're not focusing in on those people, and it's got to be genuine, it's got to come from the heart and be sincere. Uh, and you brought up a key point because the leaders today, especially as we're morphing and changing, they don't have all the answers. And a good leader lets the team know that he or she does not. Mm-hmm. And yep. that, that's allowing themselves to be vulnerable. And can you speak to that a little bit about let the leader be vulnerable? Absolutely. And again, it's it's something that I've been been talking with my clients about a lot over the past several months. A lot of this was jump started again because of the pandemic and having to work in a in a new way differently. And what I saw with my clientele is that, as you just alluded to, nobody had the answers. I mean, nobody in the world had the answers. It caught everybody surprise, by surprise. And I think because of that, for many of my clients, it was easier for the managers to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. We don't know what we're doing. We don't really know the next steps. Let's talk through this together. Let's figure it out. And the same time, though, what also happened is a lot of leaders 
realized and saw they had to lead differently in that because of how a lot of employees who no longer could work physically together were thrust into their home environments or elsewhere, and had to figure out how to jerry-rig their own technology together and access computer company files and things like that, more and more employees had to figure it out on their own. And, and managers started seeing that, look, I can't manage these people the same way as I used to because they're now experiencing greater empowerment, the ability to take greater initiative on their own, greater problem solving capabilities. So I can't manage them the way I used to because they now have shown me they can do this, but they've also experienced the, the excitement behind taking on these new initiatives. Um, that away from them, look out. Yeah, I mean, but also you'd be foolish to do that. Absolutely. And, and it, but it also then positions the, the leader to say, look, hey, you guys now, you've experienced what I deal with all the time is you just have to figure stuff out with 70% of the information and, and you make a decision with, with that amount of information. So I think it, it helped in a lot of ways to, to allow leaders to have their employees, their teams experience um, a leader being vulnerable and, and the environment within which a leader typically makes decisions. And that's, that's so powerful. So you've also talked about a lot, you know, from the vulnerability aspect and what's changing there, you've always talked about three traits of a leader. Mm-hmm. Now, have those traits changed since we've gone into this? Have, do we have more traits that are necessary? Where, where do we stand on that with the pandemic? Well, where, where I see, Again, my clientele and what I when I you know read in, in journals or I see on the news, there's typically three things that are working right now because we're we're somewhat stabilized a bit with the current status of where we are with the pandemic. But we at the time of this uh, conversation you and I are having, you know, the immunizations are starting and, and there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But what the most successful leaders are doing that I'm seeing right now are, are, are three things, really. Number one is they have refined and, and honed in on what are our core, and I mean core, services and products that, number one, are selling and needed now to generate the cash flow we need right now to keep it coming in. And and as we look forward, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and I, I say those timeframes specifically, Greg, because it's hard to look beyond that, given how, right. how weird everything is, is what do we anticipate our customers are going to want and need in those short timeframes, and how are they going to be able to access them? So the first thing is they've really got very focused on refining their purpose, their mission. And by that, I mean, sometimes they've consolidated their their offerings. The second thing that they're really doing is is really focusing on and strengthening the team. This kind of goes back to what you and I were just talking about is placing overt attention on ensuring that regardless of where team members are located, identifying how do I best support them now 
And how are we looking to be able to support them three months, six months, and nine months from now? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, I had a call, a call probably three weeks ago with a CEO of a, of a large transportation company. And we're going to start doing some leadership training with them virtually, obviously. And I told him, I said, look, I, I need everybody to be on camera. And I said, so basic question, do every one of your managers on their laptops have a camera? And I was just asking that, like, just checkbox. And he said, wow, I've never thought about that. I said, okay, we've been in a pandemic now for um, almost a year. So there's a great potential that you've got managers whose teams have not physically seen them in almost a year. It's time to spend some money and get some external cameras for your, for your management team. So it's, it's focusing on what to many may seem like a petty issue, but let's make sure that we can see our teams and they can see us. Um, because we also have to realize that we've got many, many team members who are working from home. They've got kids at home. They're trying to homeschool. They may have other family members at home that they're juggling, trying to share equipment, share schedules. And we need to understand the very real sometimes chaotic and very challenging work environments that they're in right now. And, and we need to, to work to support them on that. And the third, the third area for a leader right now, once you've really shaped or really honed in on what do we need to do now, products and services, how do I best support my team to get this done, is number three is really clarify the streamlined intentional path forward over the next three, six, nine months. Um, and specifically just chunking it out, what do we need to do to keep moving forward? And it's it's just a very, very refined, very intentional focus. And, and that's what I've been doing with my clients and it's been helping, just particularly for those industries that have just been inundated during the COVID pandemic. Now, that makes a lot of sense for the executive levels. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in understanding that a lot of that same concept can really focus down to individual teams? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could be a frontline supervisor, a team leader, the same thing. Is, exactly. is Here's what we need to get out today. Let's not worry about what we cannot control. Let's just get this out today to the best of our ability and the best quality possible so that we minimize customer complaints. We minimize returns. We minimize the potential for more work for somebody else in our organization or a bad reputation. Let's okay. just do what we can do and get this out right now. Okay. Now, a lot of the uh, listeners on the Teamwork Advantage work in call centers and help desks, okay? And obviously, they have now been remotely set for the, for the last year plus. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about that, is h- how does that change from a leadership point of view? Can you speak to something like that? How does the focus change from a leadership point of view? Yeah. I was going to say, because when you start to think about it, they're working with different people in different areas, all providing a service as opposed to a product going out the door. So that's that's what I'm looking at here. Yeah, well, and I kudos to, to everybody that works in a call center um, and, and a, you know, a service support center, because um, as they well know, the the patient's levels of individuals has dropped to negative levels. And so I encourage you know, individuals who are on the phone, frontline support supervisors and team leaders for people in call centers, 
is to remind your team members that quite often the people calling in and complaining and seeming to be overly agitated by issues are, are frustrated with life right now. Um, they're frustrated with the life they used to have is no longer there. They're frustrated with people um, having different views on the severity of this pandemic. They're frustrated with people having different views on political issues. They're frustrated with not being able to gather with friends or families, or if they do, others criticizing for for criticizing them for it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's just so much negativity out in the world right now that quite often, if we get someone to listen to us, we let it rip. And, and so for individuals that are working in call centers, if someone has a, a legitimate issue, they can't access a website or they got to complain about a product. My, my anticipation is quite often the bulk of their hostility is, is environmental hostility. Mm-hmm. And, and so the matter of is let's just help them with their immediate problem and, and you know, support them along their way because there's other issues that are not part of our complaint. Exactly. Now, you talked a moment ago about planning for three, six, nine, and 12 months. I know a lot of your business over the years has involved strategic planning, succession planning, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That sometimes that is looking, you know, short term is one to two years, mm-hmm. sometimes five, seven, 10, even 15 years. What's happening in that environment right now? Um, I can tell you we're still doing three-year planning. Um, Anything beyond three years is really guesswork. But what we're doing is, and and we've been doing this for a couple of years, um, is that three-year timeline, Greg, it gives us a line of sight. Um, And I will use an analogy by someone that you probably remember the name. He used to be the CEO of an association that you and I belong to, Stacey Tetchner, and I credit him with this all the time. Year one, we're writing in ink. Year two, we're writing in pencil. Year three is a, a white erase board. But what it does is it gives us that line of sight so we, we know the direction we intend to go, knowing full well that what I do with my clients is every quarter, we get together with our strategic planning clients to review. So what's happening with the plan, what happened this quarter, what adjustments might need to be made going into the next quarter and how do we go from there? So it's very iterative. And that allows us to constantly be tweaking and evolving the plan as it moves forward. So we can use what we have for year two and year three as a line of sight, knowing full well that there will be adjustments to it as things get refined, the closer we move to those eventual outcomes. And that's, again, critical for every level is to have the line of sight in the distance to have an idea, mm-hmm. but realize that you're going to have to make in-flight correction. Right. Absolutely. And the key thing here also is, um, you know, when we have these quarterly update sessions with clients, mm-hmm. what their takeaway then also is to then communicate out to their teams So we've just had a quarterly check-in, here's where we're on target, and here's where we're lagging behind, and here's why. So they are keeping all team members apprised where appropriate and when appropriate of major initiatives. So for instance, again, if if you're a call center and one of the major initiatives, let's say, was, was anticipation of a major software update, and, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting for this update to happen. Well, if your leadership team is keeping you apprised of why timelines are changing, you're not 
caught off guard when an update that you thought was going to happen June 30th doesn't happen until September 30th. You understand that there was a change in, you know, a delivery from the software provider and a bug update and things like that. And that, mm -hmm. that pushed the delay. So it's, it's just basic things like that, you know, following up every quarter, giving the team a heads up as to here's where we are in the plan. Here's where we're lagging behind. This is it. I want to ask the question, but I want to try to preface it a little bit too. Leaders make mistakes. We know that. So I'm going to ask you the question, what is the number one mistake leaders make? And has that mistake changed in the last year compared to what it was, say, two or three years ago? Um, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question is a, a, a leadership mistake, challenge, weakness that actually hasn't changed. It's just gotten more obvious within the last couple of years. And, and what it is, it's very basic, Greg. And actually I was just working with a coaching client today on this exact thing is more often than not, the reason for some of the most profound clashes within a leadership team or some of the, um, initiatives that go off the rails are because a leader is inarticulate in being specific as to what he or she wants to have happen. They are not good at setting a clear goal with a clear deliverable. They're very nebulous. Inarticulate to be specific. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a lot of big words there. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't say what they specifically want their team to do or achieve. They, they say something like, well, grow the business, improve the numbers, okay. Is expand that the region. they don't know themselves? Yes. Okay. They haven't taken the time themselves to clarify. So what is big enough? For instance, I, I said, I was coaching a client today. It's an, it's an energy company. And one of their goals is to continue to grow the gas business. That's, that's one of the CEO's goals given to him by his board. And I said, so by what percentage? By how much? By what regions? Mm -hmm. What? what? And he looked at me, he's like, well, like we always have. And I said, by how much is that? And he goes, well, I think it's about three or 4%. He's a new, he's a new CEO into this company. Okay. okay. And I said, I said, well, we need to have definitive deliverables as to, so what are those milestone marks so that the board can assess whether you are in fact moving the company at the pace and in the direction that they've deemed appropriate to stay viable in your region. And so he and I are working through creating smart goals to take back to his board to say, these are the deliverables. It is so funny because the word, when I bring up to clients about smart goals, they go, oh, gosh, here we go again on something mm -hmm. silly and stupid. It's not. It's not. And it, that's why I told them, I said, I, we're going to go old school. And I said, here's a before and after. Here's what you came up with. Let's talk this through. Here's the after. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. he goes, I, I get that now. Yeah. And I said, now you see how you can actually share this with your team and you can delegate it. And he goes, oh, my goodness. Absolutely. So that, that more than anything ties back to what I was saying earlier about the need to refine the mission, the need to focus on the team, the need to clarify the path forward. How clear can a leader be in saying, 
here's what we need to accomplish by the end of February. Here's what we need to accomplish by the end of Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, and, and give those specific metrics out there so the team knows what do I need to shoot for? And, and they they, they're not gonna waste time trying to figure it out. It gives them one less thing to have to worry about. It's like the analogy that I would always use is uh, if you do shoot bow and arrow, you know, if, you can, if you're close to the target and you can see your target, you got a good shot of hitting it. The further away you get, the harder it is to hit. Mm -hmm. And then if you blindfold the person and turn them around three times, they have no idea. Mm -hmm. They've got to know what they're hitting for and they've got to get close enough range to be able to hit those targets. Yep, absolutely. So absolutely. Over the years, you've been in the business a while as I have and buzzwords come and buzzwords go. And I've loved the fact that you've always been very direct. <laughs> One thing that people who know me, don't beat around the bush, don't sugarcoat it, just give it to me and tell it to me. And over the years, you've done that with me. And I, I appreciate that. What's your least favorite buzzword? Well, as you may well remember, it used to be paradigm mm -hmm. um, because people didn't know what that meant. But when others wanted to sound smart, they would say paradigm. Or a paradigm uh, shift. Or a paradigm shift. Um, the, 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 this is going to be unpopular with probably some of your listeners and, and viewers, but I, I don't like mindfulness. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's so buzzy right now. And for, for too many people, um, they're, they're interpreting it into something other than what it is. And from my perspective, mindfulness is simply the ability and, and the willingness to stop and think and focus on what's important at that moment and clear your mind of everything else that's irrelevant and then move forward yeah. and, and eliminate the squirrels, eliminate the squirrels. Exactly. <laughs> and, and there's this whole, you know, thing about mindfulness now. And it's, it's, if, if that resonates with others, that's wonderful. It just mm -hmm. doesn't resonate with me um, right. because with the work that I do with clients, it's all about where are you trying to go? How are you going to get there? It's, it's part of the process anyway. And it's part of the process of identifying what are risk mitigating goals that are going to help us move towards your vision and which are other initiatives that are going to waste resources, time and take us away from the target. So, you know, it's something that I've been doing anyway with clients for years. Um, it just doesn't strike me okay. positively. No. Okay. And again, you don't mince words. And I love that because that's been one that's like, what does it mean? A lot right. Of times. Right. Um, there is um, the, the ability to sit down and clear your head for a, even 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean mindfulness to me, but it's clearing your head to get your on gauge for your point of thought. Mm -hmm. And that, that's key. If someone was talking to you now and saying, hey, look, I'm young in the business as you were years ago, getting started with something, and they're looking to get into a leadership role regardless of the business, what advice would you tell them to do today? Again, another great question, because I actually had this conversation with one of my daughters probably about six months ago. She got her first um, management position. She was promoted into her first management position. And Greg, she is a master's smart young woman, 
but she was afraid because she's never managed anybody before. And I told her, I said, look, Aim, this is the deal. If you want to be a good manager, it's not, it's not a secret science. What it is, is number one, be willing to deal with the issues that are your responsibility that others before you have not had the courage to deal with. So what are those challenging employee behaviors that you and everybody else know should be raised with a team member or team members, but nobody else has done it before. Those are the challenging issues you have to have the courage to raise because it's your responsibility as a manager to raise it. Number two, follow through. If, if you tell someone, I'm gonna take care of this, then take care of it and follow through. Um, and then number three, when you make a mistake and you will, say, look, you know what? I screwed that up. Admit right. it and then, and then go on. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's it. And she said, no, that's not it. And I said, no, that's, that's really, if you can do those things, you will, you will do more than a lot of other individuals out there with many, many years of experience. And, and I'm happy to say, you know, when, when she got into her position, like many of us in management, she had to deal with some employee issues rather quickly. And, and she called and, and we talked them through and she said, you know, it's, this is not fun, but like you said, they have to be dealt with. And when you deal with them, she said, I had a couple team members walk by me in the hall and say, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. those, those would be the three. I think most people always remember the first person they ever had to terminate. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a pleasant thing. It's not a pleasant thing. No. It's not a pleasant thing, but it's, you know, it's one of those, those things. And it kind of goes to your question here. You know, like, you know, I, I remember when I had to do it for the first time and I almost physically got sick because I knew I hadn't done what I should have done to give this individual ample warning that her time was coming up mm -hmm. and she was going to be blindsided. And I knew I had been a coward because of it. Um, and so that's why, like with my daughter and, you know, I recommend for others is have those uncomfortable conversations early, early to make the person aware so that they have the opportunity to course correct. Yeah. Um, and it, it may be uncomfortable for you, but that's not the point. You're trying to help this person have an opportunity to course correct if they so choose and have the capabilities. Mm -hmm. If they don't, then that's not your fault. Then you take the next step and you keep moving forward. Right. Yeah, that was uh, my second person in termination. The first person was just, I was running on adrenaline because he had done something so egregious that I was on the phone to human resources early that morning and by afternoon it was done. Yeah. You know, it was afterwards that I had a chance to reflect. Mm-hmm. So there, there's different ways and all that. And it's never a fun process. Well, it's not. And it, I mean, you're, you're terminating somebody's income stream and that's, that's horrible. It's, mm -hmm. it's a horrible, it's a, it's, it's a huge responsibility and it's one not to be taken lightly. And some people say it's a lot of fun, then they're not doing it right. Yeah, no. So no. Let's, let's talk one more little topic here if we can. The power of culture. When you're in a leadership role, there's a, there's a culture above you. There's a culture with your team. How important is that? Well, I guess I handle, I'm, I'm going to answer this question a little bit differently than the way you asked. It's, and this is probably what you deal with with your clients too, is, is 
I need, I need the company ownership team, leadership team, decision makers to tell me, what do you want the company of this culture to be? What is that flavor? What is that feel? What is that personality? And then what are the guiding principles and what are the company values that define that? And are you, are you yourselves willing to be held accountable to those guiding principles and company values? And if you're not, then we're gonna stop the conversation right here because those guiding principles, the values, the vision and the mission set the framework for your culture. Mm -hmm. And so with that framework, that's how you expect everybody regardless of tier to try to emulate. So again, are you willing to hold yourself accountable to it? And if not, we're not gonna go forward. But to your question, as far as culture, if we're talking different levels of leadership or different, different employee strata within an organization, that, as you well know, are driven by personalities. And again, it goes to, are you in this for yourself or are you doing this as a representative of the organization? And I tend to see where cultures within a tier of, of a, a staffing strata, team strata, have gone off kilter when the company has lost sight, when the person has lost sight of the company's culture, company's values, and okay. they've made it personal. Right. And that, that goes in line. We had a guest on the podcast early last year, um, CEO of a, an organization who really focuses in on the culture. And when people stray from that culture, that's just it. Yeah. Know? And yeah. that's it. And they use that as their guiding principle. They use that as their North Star. They've got four mm -hmm. core values. Mm -hmm. And those are their principles. If they have a question, they put it to their core values test. It doesn't meet each one of our four. If it meets three, it doesn't get done. Right. And that's that's the power in that. Right. You know, and it's it's one of these things in, in this time more than any other is um, because, again, so many people are working remotely and, and not physically having that contact. I've been spending a lot of time with my clients, like you probably have too, talking about the importance of culture because people are craving it. They're craving a sense of community. Where, where is my group? Where's my tribe? Where are my peeps? I, I don't have people that I can laugh with in the hallway anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just so many times I can talk to my spouse or my partner in the course of a day and I, I need some other peeps here. And so company culture is, is so important right now. And particularly, as I, I alluded to earlier, with the polarization of so many societal, societal issues right now, people are just looking to, to be in communities of like-minded individuals. So company culture, corporate culture, organizational culture that speaks to the individual more than ever in my lifetime is important right now. And it's interesting because I believe every organization has a culture, whether or not it's the one we like, is mm -hmm. different, and it's, it needs to be kind of re redefined in today's environment. Yeah, and as and as you're probably hearing too, you know, this is as we as we continue to 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 deal with the current work environment, and and individuals and organizations are saying, look, we're going to continue remote after this. This whole ability for employees to shift employers more easily is really gonna be driven in large part by company culture, is what type of organization do I wanna work with and for that yeah. aligns with my values more than ever. More than ever. Mm -hmm. Liz, 
we could go on for hours, I'm sure, with all of this. You have a passion for it, as I do in so many different ways. Uh, thank you for spending the time with us today on the Teamwork Advantage. How can people get hold of you? Um, on social media, Greg. I'm on LinkedIn, Liz Weber CMC. I'm on Facebook, Liz Weber CMC. And the same thing on Twitter, Liz Weber CMC. And Weber has one B. When, when I was going to say it's the one B, not two Bs. Yep. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, every week on the Teamwork Advantage, we offer you impactful ideas that you can actually put into use right away. Until next week, remember that having a good day is just being average. Don't have a good day. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you're not average. So make today an excellent and exceptional day. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.